Our message today is entitled, The Inside Message of Christmas. We're going to be unpacking one verse of Scripture this morning, so it'll be on the screen in a moment. Uh, you may want to find it in your copy of God's Word, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9. It is a tremendous Christmas passage. But before I read that verse with you, I'm going to share an introductory truth before we even get to that verse for you to fill in the blanks there on your listening guide. Let me start with the story that really is kind of a backdrop for the title of the message. I heard about a lady who in a last minute Christmas rush was at a checkout counter at a store having done her Christmas shopping and she spotted a box of Christmas cards and she liked the picture on the outside of the card. And so she bought a box of 50 of those cards and she went home and she took one out to save for herself and she very quickly addressed the envelopes to 49 of her friends and family, quickly signed the card, put it in the envelope and mailed the card off to those 49 special friends. A couple of days later, she saw the card lying there, and, and the problem was that she really had not taken the time to read what was on the inside of the card. And so she picked it up, opened it, and to her horror, this is how it read. Just a little note to say, a gift will soon be on its way. <laughs> The, the message there, the lesson there is it's important to know the inside message, to read the inside of the card. And I just want to talk to us today about what, what is the inside message of Christmas. You know, inside information is something with which we are familiar businesses and financial institutions may, may have some inside information, something about the plans of the company or, or the finances of their group that has not been yet made public to the shareholders. And if somebody were to get a hold of that inside information and act upon it, well, it could be illegal and could be detrimental to them. But, but I want to share with you as believers in Christ, if you are a Christian, friend, you've got the inside scoop, inside information about what this season is really all about. And I want you to know that if you act upon that, it's certainly not something that's going to cause you any harm. As a matter of fact, I want you to note that one introductory truth that I put on your listening guide there, and it is this, those who are followers of Christ, have inside information from which they can greatly benefit. Paul writes, I think, about that inside information about the coming of Jesus into the world. And this one verse of Scripture, 2 Corinthians 8, 9, is actually found inside a larger text dealing with Giving. We sometimes call this time of the year the season of giving. And Paul 
is soliciting an offering from the Corinthians for the poor mother church in Jerusalem. And as a part of encourage them to give, he writes this one verse, as I've said, it is a great Christmas text. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9. To show Jesus as the ultimate example, the greatest model ever of giving. So let's put that verse on the screen. And I want us as a body to read it together out loud. All right. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 9. Let's read it. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Merry Christmas. I want to unpack this verse and give you three pieces of inside information that Paul relates in this one tremendous Christmas verse. First of all, I want you to note this. The inside message of Christmas speaks initially about the wealthy position of Christ. Look at how this verse begins again. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich. Now Paul there, of course, is not talking about earthly riches he is speaking of eternal riches. He is speaking of the wealthy position that Jesus Christ had in heaven before he stepped out of heaven and came to earth. Friends, we'll never really understand the baby in the manger until we grasp the truth that before Christ was a baby in a manger, he was a king on a throne. There in glory, he was rich. He existed in the splendor of heaven on a great throne, burning seraphim and shining cherubim. The angelic host of heaven were there to do whatever his bidding was. Legions of angels surrounded him and bathed him in praise and adoration and in glory. And he, if we understand the scripture, actually controlled the entire universe. Now folks, he not only controlled the universe, when we understand God's word, he created it. Let me show you two pastors first. Look on the screen at John chapter 1. And verse 3, in his, in his prologue to his gospel, John writes of Jesus, All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Wow. And then Paul picks up on that idea. Look at Colossians chapter 1 and verse 16. Paul says this, For by him, speaking of Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he, Christ, is before all things, and in him 
All things hold together. Try to wrap your mind around this. The baby that was born in Bethlehem and grew up in Nazareth could look at the sun and look at the moon and look at a hundred billion stars and a hundred billion galaxies and point to them and say, My, my, every leaf, every branch, every particle, every piece of dirt, on planet earth and every person has an invisible tag made by Jesus. You talk about wealthy. You talk about a position, a wealthy position. I want you to understand Jesus made it all. But as much as the wealth of the universe is just amazing. It is nothing to be compared to the wealthy position that he had in heaven. Friends, all the computers and all the calculators and all the accountants in the world could not begin to measure the wealth that Jesus Christ had in his pre-incarnate state. How do you measure the wealth of somebody who is omnipotent, who can do anything, who has all power. How do you measure the wealth of somebody who is omniscient, who knows everything, who possesses all knowledge? How do you measure the wealth of somebody who is omnipresent, who is everywhere? I'm telling you, in heaven, before Bethlehem, he was rich. He was the commander-in-chief of the only invincible armor, army ever to exist. I was reading early this morning an account in Scripture about a time when one angel in one battle killed 185,000 Assyrians. And I thought about what, what Jesus said to Simon Peter in the garden. Remember the story when Simon Peter cut off the guy's ear when they came to arrest Jesus and Jesus said, put up your sword. Jesus said, if I were to appeal to my father, he would send more than 12 legions of angels. So I, I got interested in that this morning. I said, well, what's a legion? Depending on what time in Rome's history, you were talking about a legion of, angel, a legion of Roman soldiers was 4,500 to 5,500 soldiers. So 12 legions of angels, 66,000 angels plus Jesus could have called. And if one angel could kill 185,000 in a day, 66,000 angels could kill over 12 billion in one battle. One and a half times the population of the world. And they were all there to do the bidding of Jesus. They were all there to worship and adore and to praise Him. Glory to the pre-incarnate Christ. Paul speaks initially about that wealthy position. But I want you to note this second truth, and it is this, that the inside message of Christmas speaks incredibly about the willful poverty of Christ. Paul says, yet for your sake, he became poor. Though Jesus was immensely rich, 
infinitely rich, immeasurably rich, Paul says, for your sake, for mine, for our sake, he became poor. Now we find the story of Christmas in Luke chapter 2. But friends, you find the theology of Christmas in Philippians chapter 2. And I want you to look on the screen at verses 5 through 7 of Philippians chapter 2. Look at what Paul says. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours, in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. You get that? Equal with God. But did not consider that equality with God is something to be grasped, something to hold on to, something to hoard. But here it is. This is Christmas. Verse 7. But emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. Again, Merry Christmas. Jesus Christ, in that one verse, Paul tells us that he divested himself of all the outward trappings of deity. Think about it. He emptied himself. He so imploded that he became the one who was in that wealthy position, became one cell. In the womb of the Virgin Mary. Just as we cannot imagine and calculate that wealthy position, how can we wrap our minds around how Jesus became a cell, then a baby, then a man, then an obedient kind of man, a slave kind of man, Paul would go on to say. One obedient unto death, but not any kind of death. Death on the cross. We're all familiar with Rags to riches stories. Friends, this is a riches to rags story. Born to a peasant girl in a stable. And folks, don't think of the stable in Bethlehem as something quaint or cute. It was filled with barnyard animals, and if you've ever been in any kind of barn or stable, you know it stinks. <laughs> It was a rotten, dirty, grimy, stinky place to be born. No attendance, no midwife, only her blue-collar husband there to wait on her. And when that baby was born, there was no place to lay him except to wrap him in some grease rags and put him in a manger. You know what a manger is? It's a feed trough for animals. I love something Dr. James Merritt once wrote. Listen to this. The Lord Jesus, who created everything in heaven, owned nothing on earth. He was born in a borrowed womb and buried in a borrowed tomb. To pay taxes, he had to borrow money from a fish. To feed 5,000 people, he had to borrow lunch from a boy. To have his last meal, he had to borrow an upper room. 
to ride into Jerusalem to his own crucifixion. He had to go on a borrowed donkey. There was no room at his birth. There was no home in his life. There was no grave at his death. Willful poverty. Matthew 8, 20, the Lord Jesus says this, The birds of the air have nests, and the foxes have their holes, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. You talk about living at the poverty level. He was below the poverty line. That's what Jesus did and went all the way to the cross, hung there as a common criminal would. What did Paul say? For your sake, you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, it was grace. Nobody made him come. Nobody coerced him to come. Nobody forced him to come. This is the inside message of Christmas. He came willfully. If I ever want to just get a fresh idea of how inadequate I am as a preacher, I'll read Charles Spurgeon. Do you know Spurgeon? The great London pastor. He pastored the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London for 38 years. He died in 1892 at age 57. I was reading a message by Spurgeon once called Love's Commendation. And, and I'm not going to read to you what he said, but I marvel at his language and in the imaginative way he expressed what Christmas was all about. And he, he preached this message when he was 22 years old. But Spurgeon said, I want you to imagine this parliament in heaven. And he said, it's just imagination. And he painted a picture of the Father, God. There with all of the angels, all the cherubim, all the seraphim, all the myriad multitude of angels. And he says to them, man has sinned. Someone must go and pay the price for the sin of man through the shedding of blood. Spurgeon said not a single angel spoke out. None of those Flames of fire that would do God's bidding. Michael, the warring angel, sat there with his angel, his angel wings folded. He did not dare think he could take on the form of a man and die. Gabriel, the announcing angel, said not a word. Not a single angel spoke up. But then the Son of God, Spurgeon says, up starting from his throne said, I will go. I will take the form of a man. I will die in the place of fallen humanity. <coughs> Spurgeon said that the angels had seen worlds created. And we're not surprised at it, but for once he said, I think they marvel. What? Son of God? What? Thou infinite word, you will go? You'll become a man? You will die. They could not conceive it. Can you wrap your mind around it? The one who had that wealthy position took on willful poverty. It's the inside message 
of Christmas. But I want you to look at this final truth. The inside message of Christmas speaks invitingly <coughs> about the wonderful privileges of Christians. Paul ends this verse saying this, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. <laughs> Here we get down to what it really means, friends, to be rich. I'm telling you, true riches cannot be bought with a card or cash or a check. We'll never be able to enjoy things that money can buy until we possess that which money cannot buy. And friends, that is the person of Christ. What a wonderful privilege it is to be a Christian. Amen? <clears throat> what a wonderful privilege. Friends, to understand this, if you're a Christian, it means that Christ is in you. The one about whom the Father said, I am well pleased. He's in you. And you are in Him. You don't have to live under, under the demanding slavery of working and trying and pleading and begging and fearing and bargaining and doing. Try to somehow earn the favor of God. Friends, lean into this. You're a Christian. In Christ, you are as rich as Christ. The Bible says you're a joint heir. You're a co-heir with Jesus. Everything that he has, you have. We share and share alike. Anybody in the house happy to be a Christian? We get his joy. We get his peace. We get his power. It's no wonder this is a season of rejoicing. I was thinking of that great medieval hymn written in the 14th century, Good Christian Men Rejoice. And I would add in Good Christian Women as well. Think about that first verse, Good Christian Men Rejoice with heart and soul and voice. Give ye you, give you heed to what we say. Jesus Christ is born today. Man and beast before him bow, and he is in the manger now. Christ is born today. Christ is born today. But you got to get to that second verse to even know the reason why we can rejoice. Good Christian men rejoice with heart and soul and voice. Now ye hear of endless bliss. Jesus Christ was born for this. He hath opened heaven's door. And man is blessed forevermore. Christ was born for this. Christ was born for this. What does it mean? He hath opened heaven's door. Friend, a door means there's an exit and an entrance. A door means he exited heaven and came to this earth. And because he went through the door from heaven to earth, friends, one day when we die, if we're Christ followers, we'll go through the open door from earth to heaven. He came, he came down from heaven to become one of us. So one day we can go up to heaven to become one with him. No wonder we rejoice this time of year. By his poverty, 
we become rich. This inside message of Christmas speaks invitingly to you today, if you're not a Christ follower, to get in on these wonderful privileges. Rejoice in the inside message of Christmas. That last stanza of that great carol has these words. Lean into them. Press in. Good Christian men, rejoice with heart and soul and voice. Listen, now you need not fear the grave. Jesus Christ was born to save, calls you one and calls you all to gain his everlasting hall. Christ was born for this. Christ was born for this. Friend, you need not fear the grave. Because of the inside message of Christmas, we can gain that everlasting hall. Folks, you can't get any richer than that. The one who was infinitely, immeasurably rich became poor so that one day we can share in those incredible riches. That, my dear friends, is the inside scoop. It's the inside message of Christmas. You've got the inside information. Now you need Act on it. It's not a message to say a gift will soon be on its way, as that lady discovered when she read the inside message. It is this. A gift has already come our way, wrapped in swaddling clothes, laid in a manger. And if you've never received that gift, you can do so today. Note this last statement on your listening guide. You can receive the gift of the Christ of Christmas today and become incredibly rich. You've got the inside information, friends. You've got the inside story. Now, for somebody, maybe you, it's time to act on it. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. We come to this time of invitation. The praise team and instrumentalists will be making their way here to the platform. But with our heads bowed and our eyes closed as we prepare to sing about Jesus, Messiah, the long-promised, long-awaited Messiah who stepped out of heaven and came to this earth, my question is, have you ever invited him to step out of heaven into your heart? To be born in you, for you to be born again. If not, today could be that day. Friends, you got to get out of the Savior business. You must repent of your sins. Give up on any idea that your good works can get you to heaven. Give all of that up and instead receive the gift. The Bible says in 1 John 5, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I'm asking, do you have the Son of God? Have you ever received him into your life? Friends, if you have, then you know the truth about Christmas. You get in on all the riches.
through his poverty, you might become rich, Paul said. If you've never received him, let me tell you something, friend. You're bankrupt. You're poorer than you know. You have no currency honored by the bank of heaven. You must receive what Jesus has deposited there because of his shed blood. He lived the life you could not live, died the death you ought to have died, but was raised again. He's alive today, and he'll come right into your life if you'll ask him. You'll pray and receive him. If you need help in doing that, in a moment, I'll be here at the front. I'm going to ask you just to walk forward. Give me your hand. Say, I need Christ. We'll take it from there. Maybe you accepted him some other time or place. You ought to follow him in baptism to show a picture of his coming to this earth as you go into the water, his death, his burial, as you're placed under the water, raised again as Jesus was. So you might inherit his riches and have his life. We can schedule your baptism if you're already a Christ follower. Maybe you want to unite with this church. You can commemorate the day that you joined the Crossroads family right here during the Christmas season, a week before Christmas Eve. Why don't you come today and unite with this fellowship? Or maybe some other matter, you just need to surrender afresh to the King of kings and Lord of lords who emptied himself for you, for your sake, became poor. Surrender to him as he surrendered all for you. Lord Jesus, whatever the decision, whatever the commitment of life, give courage to those who need to respond either quietly there where they stand in a moment or by coming publicly. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.